Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pitches. Swing a high drive left center field and deep. Bader going back on the run to the warning track near the wall. Looks up and it's gone into the Nationals bullpen for Alex Cole. And the Nationals lead four to three. Runners lead first and third. Runner goes the pitch. Swing and a ground ball base into the left field. Up with the ball is the left fielder Rutherford. He'll get it in toward third. In the score is Peraza. It's now the Nationals six and the Yankees five. Tie run at second, winning run at first. Two out, bottom of the ninth. No balls, two strikes on Harrison Bader. Fitting into the belt. The Nationals closer kicks and delivers. Swing and a drive to deep left center field. Call on the run going way back. He is there and he makes the catch. Twisting, turning. It almost went by him to his left side. And holy mackerel, a curly W's in the books. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, August 25th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Yankee Stadium in New York City. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Thursday afternoon had a collision of the Nats past and present. We had a game, another Nats win, another Nats come from behind win, a 6-5 win at the New York Yankees to win two of the three games in the series. The Nats in this game overcame a 3-1 seventh inning deficit and then held on. Kyle Finnegan, bottom of the ninth in a pouring rain, did give up a run, but center fielder Alex Call, the stumbling catch of the deep fly ball by Harrison Bader to end the game. But also on Thursday afternoon was major, although not surprising, Nats news. Uh, multiple reports that Nats starting pitcher Steven Strasburg has decided to retire. The Nats now are 21-11 and 11 over their last 32 games. The Nats now have won four consecutive series and six of the team's last seven series. The Nats for this season are 59-69. and 69. If you bet the over on a Nats 2023 over-under win total of 58.5, you have won. The bet is over, literally and figuratively. Mark, every Nats fan right now has good reason to be excited, but there's no doubt that this Strasburg news had like a sobering effect on the day. And when you combine that with what happened less than 24 hours earlier, the Stone Garrett injury, uh, wow, what a wild last few days we've had with the Nets. 
think about everything they've been through here just in the last week. Even go back to Sunday in Williamsport, which was a crazy day in good ways, and everything that's happened now since then. You have this really emotional, difficult day on Wednesday night where they get blown out and lose a really popular teammate to a serious injury, although maybe not as serious as initially feared, which is, I guess, a silver lining to that. And then come back the next day and want to play hard for him, try to win the game for him. And I think for a lot of the players, the Strasbourg news was not really first and foremost on their minds. Most of them have never even played with him, or in some cases, maybe even never met him because they're new to the team in the last year and he just hasn't been around. But as an organization, obviously, that is a big sobering moment and realization that you're one step farther away removed from the glory years of the 2012 to 2019 nationals. And yet there's also a lot of reason now to be optimistic about this next generation and where they're going. And so as tough as that is to finally get the confirmation of what I think we had all come to realize a while back that Strasbourg career was over. In a way, it's kind of comforting to know that they're in good hands right now. It feels like that, at least. And this is a team that's going to create some new memories here with a new group of young cornerstones. And you saw it all on display in this game. I mean, it's another series win, another gritty win, another come-from-behind win in a hostile environment. They are doing a fabulous job right now of following Davey Martinez's mantra and forget about whatever else is going on. Just go 1-0 today. They're really doing a nice job of that right now. I mean, oh, by the way, this week, we've had the contract extension for Davey Martinez. We've had the reports of an extension coming from Mike Rizzo. We on Tuesday had all of those promotions of significant prospects in the Nats minor league system. I mean, really starting Sunday night with the Little League Classic game, every day there has been something of real significance here with the Nats. But yeah, oh, by the way, they have won yet another series. So just to put a bow on the Stone Garrett thing, I mean, we talked so much about it, of course, on the previous installment of the podcast. The Nats on Thursday morning did officially place Garrett on the 10-day injured list with what is being called a fractured left fibula. Is that the extent of the injury? Is it possible that there's more? What do we know about exactly what happened to him in that game on Wednesday night? So they are still waiting for some more tests. Stone Garrett earlier in the morning was headed back to DC to be examined by the team doctor, at which point I believe that's when he'll finally get the MRI to test for anything else. It sounds like even if there's nothing else, there's probably at least some surgery involved to fix the fracture. But I'll just say this, reading between the lines of what I gathered from some people and just seeing with my own eyes, the fact that he was in the clubhouse after the game, that they didn't feel the need to immediately send him to a hospital or to have this addressed here in New York before they would even let him travel. I think that's all encouraging. I sensed from the Nationals that they were disappointed, obviously, and, and crushed by the news of what is you know, clearly a season-ending injury, but at the same time, encouraged that it's maybe not as bad as everybody feared at the time. It does seem like it's contained to the lower leg, not the knee, not the ankle, although I suppose that you've got to wait till the doctor fully examines him in the coming days to know that for sure. But I think there's some cautious optimism right now that as bad as that is, you never want to say that a broken leg is a good thing, but that it's still better than it could have been and ideally and hopefully doesn't prevent him from being ready for the start of next season. 
That would be great. I mean, it's always so tricky with this stuff because, look, we know that teams aren't always forthcoming with what happens with injuries. And we know the Nats have quite the history when it comes to being forthcoming with injuries. And we have seen many times, and this is more an NFL thing than an MLB thing, but like a guy is said to have suffered, say, you know, a torn ACL, but it turns out it wasn't just a torn ACL. It was torn ACL, MCL, you know, meniscus, like stuff like that. Now, this is not a torn ligament. This is a broken leg, a fractured fibula. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but you would worry about like, was there any like nerve damage incurred? Did anything happen to his ankle? Is it just the fibula? But that would be awesome if in fact, this is, you know, contained, quote unquote, to just a fractured fibula. So all the best, of course, to Stone Garrett. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Uh, Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right, and uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastors and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. Uh, There is no CBA in the law firm world. Do not be stuck with a poverty franchise like poor Paul Skeens, okay? (laughs) Call Mason today, located in Washington, D.C. Mason also specializes in working with government lawyers from the DOJ, SEC, FTC, and FDA. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenithlegal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! The Nats will be contenders very soon, and you can be a contender even sooner. First pitch to Alou. Line drive up the middle. It's past the shortstop. Volpe off his glove into center field. Keeboom racing for the plate. He'll score. And holding it first with an RBI single is Jake Alou. Nationals get closer. It's now 3-2 Yankees. That one a smash up the middle. Too hot to handle for Volpe. Deflected off his glove and into center field. So this 6-5 win at the Yankees on Thursday afternoon. I mean, there are so many ways that we can attack this game. How about just how the game ended? Like the final three half innings in the game. Yet Kyle Finnegan coming into the game in the bottom of the eighth with a runner on second, two outs. The Nats nursing a 5-4 lead. Strikes out pinch hitter Jake Bowers looking on eight pitches for the third out. Yet another big out generated by Finnegan in a fireman spot. Then in the top of the ninth, the Nats scored a run in your prototypical 2023 scrappy Nats way. A Joey Manessis two-out, bases-loaded RBI infield single to the left side of the infield for a 6-4 Nats lead. And then in the bottom of the ninth, Finnegan in a pouring rain. I mean, I would think in any other circumstance, the game would have been halted. But because we were in that bottom of the ninth, it was like, okay, let's just get this game and get this series done. Finnegan does give up a run on three singles. This was an inning that was like refusing to end. But Finnegan ultimately got 
the job done. And that final out, Alex Cole making a stumbling catch of a deep fly ball by Harrison Bader, a fly ball that perhaps on a sunny, uh, more humid day, perhaps ends up out of the ballpark. Instead, ends up as an out, ends up in the glove of Alex Cole, and the Nats win the game. Man, that was some ride that we all went on over those final three half innings. That was about as tense a bottom of the ninth as I've watched in person in a while. And, you know, being at Yankee Stadium maybe adds a little bit to the drama. That's a desperate New York team that is trying, like, everything they've got to somehow pull that off and maybe turn their season around that has fallen apart. And, I mean... I don't know for anybody else watching it, but I couldn't help but just see the obvious comparison between two innings earlier, Alex Call hits a ball that exact same spot and it clears the fence for the go-ahead homer. And then with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, the ball comes off Bader's bat. And I think everybody, based on the sound and the visual of it, thought, oh God, he actually just did it. And then you see Call racing it down, pulling up just short of the track, and then making that spinning catch as he's looking up into the rain and everything else. I mean, that was pretty remarkable that the same guy who just cleared the fence in that spot two innings earlier had enough room to track that one down in the rain for the final out. And oh my God, what a sigh of relief everyone was breathing. Now, in the bigger picture, if they had blown that game, would it have destroyed or ruined everything that they've done here in the last month? No. But boy, to finish it off and win their fourth straight series, their six of their last seven to do it on the road to this team in that kind of fashion on this day, it said a lot. Uh, Finnegan said that was a gut check save for him. By the skin of their teeth, they pulled that one off. You know, I know that Alex Call isn't necessarily every Nationals fan's favorite player, but I love the emotion with which he plays. And he let out this like primal scream upon making that game ending put out. That was just great to see. And, and I thought in so many ways captured the emotion of these last six days. You know, I can only imagine if you're a player on that team, what you're thinking, what you're feeling with everything that has happened with this team these last few days. And so he just let a lot of stuff out in making that out. So that was pretty cool to see. And oh, by the way, call and Mark just uh, mentioned this, a big home run in this game. Your uh, starting center fielder and number nine batter, two for three with a two-run homer and a single call in an at's Four-run, seventh inning, a two-out, two-run homer to left center field for a 4-3 Nats lead, 411 feet per stat cast. That was some shot by Call, who does have power. We have seen this especially in this latest go-round form with the Nats at the major league level. It was on July 5th that the Nats recalled Call from AAA Rochester. We know that he barely hit in his first go-round at the major league level this season. I don't want to overstate what he's done in the second go-round, but he has provided some value here. You know, he can play a good center field, and he actually has hit for some power during these last few months. He has, I think, they're frustrated. He's frustrated. There hasn't been a little more consistency there. Just a, a little more in the ways of singles and doubles in some spots to try to just keep rallies going and things like that. But you're right. He has had a flair for the dramatic and has hit for some power. Plays a really nice center field. And at least for now, he's kind of back there in the everyday lineup. They were starting to bench him a little bit, essentially as a way to get Stone Garrett in the lineup every day. Well, now that Garrett is out and the corresponding move for that was to bring Jeter Downs back, Downs, of course, another infielder. So they officially only have three full-time outfielders on the roster right now, Lane Thomas, Alex Call, and Blake Rutherford. Now, they have other guys who can play left field. You saw Jake Alou there on this day. Joey Manessis may get some work out there 
as well here at some point. Ildemaro Vargas can play out there as well. I do think whether it's in the coming days or weeks, they're going to at some point make another move to bring in another true outfielder because it's tough to go through the rest of the season with only three true outfielders out there, especially when two of them are not high production or not proven players in Call and Rutherford. But for now, I think that's what they have. And so Alex Call is going to keep getting these opportunities to come through for them. Yeah. I mean, the overall numbers for Call this season are not good, but upon being summoned back to the majors, he hit three home runs in the early portion of that stint. And uh, then on Thursday afternoon, he had uh, this big home run at Yankee Stadium. Also homering in that four-run seventh was C.J. Abrams. Yet another big home run for Abrams, another homer in the latter innings of the game for Abrams. Tommy Canely fires. And a swing and a long drive right field. Abrams has done it again. This one is long, long gone. Abrams stands and admires at home plate and is just now making his way to first base. Yet another instance of CJ pimping a home run. So Abrams in this 4-1-7th, a two-out full count solo homer to right field for a 5-3 Nats lead. The homer concluded an eight-pitch plate appearance in which he was down in the count at one point, one, two. We are seeing more and more of this Abrams in counts being down, but Abrams able to turn those plate appearances to productive ones. Heck, he later in the game, the Nats one run ninth, had a two-out infield single to the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. But Abrams pimped this homer, including flipping the bat toward the Nats dugout. This is becoming a thing with C.J. Abrams. Yankees fans were booing big time after this homer. I don't know how much of that was directed at Abrams versus just directed at the Yankees, but Davey Martinez was not happy about this and talked to Abrams about this and actually talked about that during his postgame session with you guys. Yeah, you could see he put his arm around CJ when he got back to the dugout and kind of whispered something to him. Wasn't going to go into a lot of detail with us on the specifics of what he said, but I think we all know what essentially it is. And, and his point was this. My conversation will we'll stay in the circle, um, but I, I definitely want to teach these guys how to play the game the right way. That's a good team. No matter what they say, that's a good team. We, we, don't, want, we don't want to wake up sleeping giants. We don't. And whether that is because they're going to retaliate against you or if you're going to, as he said, poke the bear of a Yankees team that we know is struggling, but has plenty of star power and experience and big names there, you don't want to do anything that might give them reason to be motivated. They almost did come back. I don't know if it had anything to do with CJ's reaction to the homer, but I think that's Davey's feeling about it. Look, he's a great players manager. Everybody agrees that. He's also pretty old school when it comes to certain things. And this is one of those things. I go back to 2019. The whole dugout dance and celebration after the home runs, that was a direct reaction to Juan Soto and Victor Robles really celebrating and dancing on the field when somebody would hit a home run. And Davey told him, like, look, save it, bring it to the dugout, keep it down here, don't direct it at the other team, don't make a big display of it. So I think he believes in that stuff a lot. CJ said, hey, he's motivated, he's trying to fire up his bench, that's a huge home run for him and for the team. He certainly doesn't mean disrespect to the other team for it. I'm sure it's the last thing on his mind. I'll be interested to see as we move forward. You don't want to take a young player and completely take the joy and emotion out of his game. If he thrives on that, you want that. I think Davey's point is find a way to do that that doesn't potentially lead to anything from the other side. Yeah, there's a middle ground with all this. Like, I think baseball, you know, can always use more fun and guys being more energetic and guys enjoying themselves. But, you know, you don't have to do it in a way that taunts the other team. Now, I don't think that Abrams was doing that, but 
you know, you want to steer clear of that in any way. Because look, it, it's not so much about like, you know, disrespecting the opposition. It's about inciting the team throwing at your players. And Davey doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. Okay. Like you don't want someone throwing a pitch at K. Barrett Ruiz's, you know, left elbow or something like that. You don't need that. You know, that's not something that Davey Martinez wants on his plate. And I understand that. So there's a middle ground with this stuff. And as long as you sort of abide by that middle ground, I think you can be just fine. But look, CJ Abrams continues to hit, continues to come through in big spots. And that ultimately is the takeaway there. So a couple of other Nats who came through offensively in this game. Carter Keeboom, another good game for him. He is the Nats starting third baseman at number five batter. He was a number nine batter in his initial game back. Number five batter in this game, two for four with a double and a single. And it was Jake Alou who was the Nats starting left fielder in this game. Number eight batter, two for three with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And each of those things came in a run scoring inning for the Nats. Alou in the Nats, one run third, a leadoff seven pitch walk despite having been down in a count at 1.12. Alou in that Nats, four run seventh, a two out first pitch RBI single up the middle to cut the Nats deficit to 3 2. And Alou in the Nats, one run ninth, a one out single to right center field, although he then was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. It seems like there's going to be sort of a patchwork approach right now to the outfield with Stone Garrett out. Uh, I saw, you know, you write about Joey Manessis might actually get a look-see in left field. I don't know how much of that we are uh, wanting to see, but I guess, you know, we could be seeing that. We have seen a loop play left field before. Do you feel like this is going to become his spot here, especially now with Keeboom, who can play third? And we know that Ildemaro Vargas can play both third base and second base. I think short term, it is a possibility. I think you'll also see Blake Rutherford out there to some extent. You want to give him a little bit more of an opportunity. But I mean, it's it's hard to move forward without really a fourth legitimate outfielder or certainly a, a third guy who should be playing every day. Now, the tricky part of all this, of course, is that they certainly have guys who profile to be starting outfielders in the minor leagues. And in some cases, they're close to big league ready, but they're not really there yet. And I'll be curious to see if they would use the injury to Garrett to speed up the timeline for, say, a James Wood. Probably not a Dylan Cruz, but you never know. You don't ever want to do that. You want to move your prospects at a pace that is appropriate for them and commensurate with their success level. So I don't think Mike Rizzo does something like that. Now, you can't help but think back to 2018 when Howie Kendrick tears his Achilles and the next day Juan Soto was debuting in the big leagues despite having a couple weeks earlier been in low A ball. So I'm sure there are going to be people saying, hey, Dylan Cruz, James Wood, why not do the same thing? The difference is, first of all, Juan Soto was as advanced a hitter as you've ever seen for a 19-year-old. Secondly, that's a team that was in win-now mode. And while the Nats are winning right now, they're not in a win-now mode at the moment. So there may have to be some other kind of interim patch it together, try to get through this for now and give those guys at least a little more time to prove themselves at double A before you then in theory make a move. But if there was a chance of one of them debuting before the season was over, I guess it probably went up a little bit as a result of this injury. That's what I was thinking too. But at the same time, like you were just saying, you should not let anything other than what is right for the prospect govern when the prospect is brought up, especially when the prospect is as highly touted as a Dylan Cruz or a James Wood, to say nothing of the service time issue. Like, 
What happened to Stone Garrett was terrible, but I'm not going to let that in any way force me as a ball club to do something contractually speaking with a Wood or a Cruz that's going to put me in a bad spot, you know, like that's going to lessen my team control on the guy. So yeah, I I would not uh, let that impact anything. But good to see Jake Alou. I mean, again, every time the guy plays, the guy does something good offensively. That starting pitcher in this 6-5 win at the Yankees on Thursday afternoon was Patrick Corbin, a solid outing for Patrick Corbin, certainly by 2023 standards, three runs in six innings, gave up seven hits, two home runs, two doubles, and three singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. He put guys on base, I know, shock face, but he also had seven strikeouts. He threw 93 pitches, 54 strikes versus 39 balls. You almost had to laugh. Bottom of the first, Corbin allowed a run on a one-out first pitch opposite field solo homer by who else? Aaron Judge to right center field for a one nothing Yankees lead. 421 feet per stat cast. Judge's fourth home run in five plate appearances over his last two games against the Nats. And Corbin in the bottom of the third allowed two runs on a leadoff five-pitch walk of DJ LeMahieu and a one-out two-run homer by Glaber Torres to left field for a 3-1 Yankees lead. But Corbin gave the Nats six innings. You know, this season, has he been good? Can't say that. 26 starts, ERA of 470, but he has been a lot better than he was the last two seasons. And he does lead the Nats by quite a bit in innings pitched, 149 and a third innings pitched on the season. And then just to put a camper on the Nats bullpen, uh, Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless spot of the seventh. But Jordan Weems allowed a run in two-thirds of an inning. He in a one-run Yankees eighth. Face four batters, got just two outs, gave up a leadoff homer by John Carlos Stanton to right center, gave up a two-out full count double by Everson Pereira to left field, despite him having been down in the count at 1.12. What'd you make of Harvey working the seventh, Weems working the eighth? Well, I think that was the matchup pretty clearly that Davey saw top of the lineup coming up for the Yankees, the big boys, particularly Judge and wanting Hunter Harvey to be the guy for that inning. So I think you saw him manage in that way. And we've talked about this being the kind of thing that we've seen Davey do. It's not so much married to the roles by inning, but by matchups late in games. And so I thought that was a really aggressive and appropriate use of Hunter Harvey there. Now, you then have to use Jordan Weems in the eighth, closer to the end, and he did give up a home run. Although he was remarking afterwards, it was a broken bat by Stanton. And it still went out like it it was a no-doubter. And Weems was just in awe more than anything about how strong Giancarlo Stanton is to hit a home run on a broken bat. So what that did do is, you know, set it up where now Davey had to decide, do I go to Kyle Finnegan before the eighth inning's over for a two-inning save or four-out save in the end? So he did have to do that. But I liked the usage of Harvey in the seventh For that spot in the lineup at that point in the game, I think that made a lot of sense. Yeah, and it worked from a standpoint of what Harvey did. You know, Harvey and Finnegan are only two guys, so it's like you're going to have to have somebody else face opposing teams in key spots, and Weems did that, and the results uh, were mixed in this game on Thursday afternoon. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. 
Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Tim Shover's here to tell you about the Game Time app. A lot happening in D.C. this coming weekend. Nickelback Concert, D.C. United, The Mystics, and Commander's preseason finale. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what to do. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use the code NatsChat50. You do that, you get 50 percent off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. Factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played on Thursday as the Harrisburg Senators lost to the visiting Reading Fighting Phils 3-2. Cruz, center field in the leadoff spot, but he's finding out that he's not in single A anymore. 0-3, he did draw a walk. So far, just one hit in three games. Now back to Mark and Al. With the uh, first selection in the 2009 first-year player draft, the Washington Nationals select Steven Strasburg, right-handed pitcher from San Diego State University, San Diego, California. The Seattle Mariners are now on the clock. This game is happening as this Steven Strasburg news broke on Thursday afternoon. So multiple reports that Steven Strasburg has decided 
to retire. Just to catch people up on Strasbourg, because it is easy to kind of lose track of where we are. So he has spent this entire season on the 60-day injured list due to his continued recovery from thoracic outlet syndrome, for which he underwent surgery on July 28th, 2021, more than two years ago. You think about that. In terms of like what had been out there in recent months about Strasbourg. So Davey Martinez in a press conference this past February 15th, what was the day of the first workout for pitchers and catchers at 2023 Spring training, revealed that Strasbourg had been shut down due to a recurrence of nerve pain. The recurrence had happened off just a second bullpen session. So that right there told you so much. We This past June 3rd had a big piece that came out from the Washington Post painting a very grim picture for Strasburg. The report stated that Strasburg, for three people familiar with the situation, had been completely shut down from physical activity and was dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote. This also was the report that told us that uh, the Nats, per four people within the organization, did not have any disability insurance on the Strasburg seven-year, 245 million dollar contract. And of course, with Strasburg, you can't have the conversation without talking about the contract. So you wrote a lot about this. You've done a lot of reporting on this. Is this a recent decision, him retiring? Is this something that was arrived at a while ago? The sense I get, and we kind of alluded to this a few months back as that was all playing out, was that once he couldn't go in spring training, I think he maybe gave it one more try in April to to start building things up a little bit. And it was clear that that just wasn't going to happen. I think that he knew at that point, the team knew at that point, that it just wasn't going to happen. But as you mentioned, and as we've discussed, the contract situation and the idea that the two sides would have to come to some kind of financial agreement here is what held this up. So the sense I got was that there were some discussions on and off. They were maybe at a point a while back where they thought they might have something and then it didn't get worked out. And so they, you know, pressed pause on that and maybe revisited it more recently. So I think the decision to retire, he's known for a while, but I think probably more recently here is when they were able to finally work something out. I don't know the details financially of how this is going to work, but just to reiterate to people how this, how this goes, baseball contracts are guaranteed, of course. The stipulation being that you have to still be an active player. And when I say active, I don't mean on the active roster, but you can't retire. If you voluntarily retire, you forfeit the remainder of your contract. So as long as you're either on the active roster or on the IL and rehabbing in an attempt to get better, you are owed everything that is left on your contract. So for him to just walk away, that would be a whole lot of money left, talking three more years. And you can understand why he and Scott Boris would say, well, we're not going to do that. We're not just going to forfeit all of that that's still owed to him. Now, that said, he's human. He feels really bad about everything that's happened. I think he, rightly or wrongly, feels some personal blame for having kind of been a big part of the Nationals' decision to rebuild and start over. And I don't think that's fair. And I hope he ultimately doesn't have lingering feelings of that or think that he is somehow responsible for what's happened to the organization. But I know he felt a responsibility to the team and and feels like he didn't live up to it, whether it was through any making of his own or something that he couldn't have control. So I don't think this is necessarily going to be a case of, okay, you're going to pay me every cent I'm still owed. 
hopefully the two sides worked something out that will take care of this in a way that satisfies both. Eventually, we may learn the details, but at this point, it made the decision. They've worked something out, and they're now making plans to formally announce it and have a press conference during the next homestand, which is still you know a week away. So it may be a while until we actually see and hear from him announcing this. So just to be clear, though, because I think a lot of people saw this news and perhaps said to themselves, oh boy, now comes the ultimate battle. Scott Boris versus the learners on the buyout of the 70-year $245 million contract for Steven Strasburg. But you interpret this news more as a buyout probably has been agreed on. Is that correct? That's the way I interpret it. I haven't been told that 100% that that is true. I just don't think that, that number one, he would let that decision get out because, you know, somebody had to go ahead and let the Washington Post and, and the rest of us know that, yes, the decision has been made. And also to acknowledge and the Nationals, you know, privately acknowledge as well that they are making plans for a press conference here in early September during the next homestand. They don't do all that until they've crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. So I don't think that there should be any lingering negotiation that needs to take place. That would be a really bad look if that wasn't already resolved before this. I think they've spent the last few months trying to resolve all that and probably sometime recently came to whatever resolution they ultimately did. Hopefully. I mean, the last thing that I think anybody wanted out of this was for the situation to turn ugly because of the contract buyout talks. It is a fascinating thing, though, because, you know, you have like the ultimate super agent in Scott Boris and you have an ownership group in the learners that is famous for not only driving hard bargains, but never wanting to pay up front, right? Always wanting to defer payment. And yet with a contract buyout, that is the opposite of the deferred payment. You are paying money right now, although you're not paying a dollar for dollar, right? You're figuring out, okay, is it 60 cents on the dollar, 70 cents on the dollar? And and I think that's really interesting too. Like what is the right number? What is the appropriate figure for a buyout in a circumstance like this? Well, and what I'll be interested to see, and I would not be surprised, is if they did find a way to space it out. That's the learner way. And, you know, he was going to be paid over many more years anyways on the contract. It was, you know, he had deferred money anyways on this deal. So I'd be very surprised if the resolution to all this was, we're going to pay this huge lump sum now and that'll just take care of it. So there are ways to do that, to still spread it out, even if he's not officially on the roster anymore. You know, we see it. They're still paying Max Scherzer and others long after they've left. So I would guess, without knowing details, I would guess that that was maybe the concession on the Strasburg-Boris part in exchange for getting a good chunk of what he still owed for them maybe to space it out and not just do it all at once. You think about the negotiations, you could say, well, we'll pay you everything right now, but we're only going to pay you 50 cents on the dollar, as opposed to we'll give you, you know, 75 cents on the dollar, but the payments will be spread out over years. I don't know. I I just, I think stuff like that is interesting to think about. So I tweeted this on Thursday afternoon. I very much meant it. You can follow me on Twitter or X uh, at Al Galdi. You can follow Mark at Mark Zuckerman. The legacy of Steven Strasburg, ultimately, I think, with the Nats is the postseason. 2019 World Series MVP and legitimately one of the best playoff pitchers ever. 55 and a third postseason innings, an ERA of 146, a whip of 0.94, 71 strikeouts versus eight walks. Nobody's happy about how his career ends Nobody is happy about the frequency with which he was injured. And, you know, this contract is part of the Strasburg legacy, like 70 years, $245 million. You could argue 
This is the single worst contract in not just MLB history, but in United States professional sports history. Like, I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that. Like, name me a worse contract in terms of production per dollar. Like, this is pretty bad. The guy barely pitched off signing that contract in December 2019. But I think most Nats fans don't look at him and say, oh boy, this guy in this contract, and like, that's how they remember him. I do think that the good things that he did are what are going to stick with him more than the contract. And I do hope, you mentioned an upcoming presser at Nationals Park in the coming weeks. I do hope there is a way in which fans can say goodbye to Strasburg. Do you think anything like that will take place, that he'll somehow come out out of the field, maybe before a game and get an ovation? Anything like that? I hope that will happen on that same day. I don't know. I know Steven is so averse to attention and it's not his style to do that. But if he's coming to the ballpark to make the announcement and doing it on a game day when they're playing at home, I've got to believe there will be something, whether it's on the field, whether it's showing him during the game in a suite or something along those lines, I would hope. You would love, and I have no idea physically if he can do it, if there's some way to throw out a ceremonial first pitch along those lines. I honestly don't know if that's possible. But yeah, I think that the majority of Nats fans and certainly everybody who's around the organization is going to look at all the things that he did for them and not at the things he did not do for them. And you're right, the postseason legacy is what kind of takes it up a notch and World Series MVP, of course, all that, I mean, is uh, you know phenomenal. And nine postseason appearances, one of those a relief, of course, for Max Scherzer in the wildcard game. He went six and two with a 146 ERA 71 strikeouts and eight walks in his postseason career. That is remarkable. And it was even better in 2019 when he went 5-0 and and, of course, won the World Series MVP. But I want to make a case for him also for, on just his regular season performance. 247 career starts, 113-62 and 62 record, 324 ERA, 1096 whip, and way more strikeouts and in innings, 1,700 strikeouts and 1,400 innings. I know he didn't take the mound as much as everyone wished he would have, as much as he wished he would have. But it's also not like he was never out there. He was out there a good amount over a long stretch of time. And I saw somebody put this out, and I apologize, I don't remember who had it, but I think this is very telling. Of all the pitchers who've ever been drafted number one overall in the draft, only David Price and Garrett Cole amassed more war in their careers than Steven Strasburg did. Now, could he have been more? Sure, of course. If he had been able to stay on the field more, he could have been the best of all of them. He was still awfully good over the course of his career. And while it doesn't end the way anybody wanted it to, I think there's a whole lot to celebrate about what he did on the mound. And not just in little snippets or just for one month in 2019, but really for a good decade when he was healthy and out there, he was as good as anybody. Well, I think the other thing, too, is so Ryan Zimmerman was the first superstar for the Nats off the franchise coming here. But Strasburg, in a lot of ways, was the face of the Nats becoming good. He was the guy who they took number one overall in 2009. Remember, Strasburg in 09, number one overall. Bryce Harper in 2010, number one overall. And that debut, June 8th, 2010, that, in a lot of ways, remains the greatest, at least regular season moment in Nationals Park history. You know, I mean, you can uh, debate some things, but that is something that is really special. And that's a game 
that still gets talked about today. And that really has become the starting pitcher major league debut by which all others are judged. I mean, that night, you know, national television on the MLB Network, Bob Costas calling the game and Strasburg living up to perhaps even exceeding the hype. And, you know, for a team that at the time was really bad and had been in the midst of some really bad, not just seasons, but also things, you know, some scandal, ineptitude off the field, to have a night like that, that was like the proclamation of, you know what, things are getting better here. And this guy is leading the way. And I think that will always hold a special place in the hearts and minds of Nats fans that, like, that was the first. And when you have something like that, when you are the first, there's always something very special about that. And he was the first guy of, okay, things are getting better and this team is getting good. And I think people will always be appreciative of that. And, you know, with the postseason thing too, it, it is funny, right? Like you really can't argue the best regular season starting pitcher in that's history is Max Scherzer. There really isn't a comparison. If you look at the stats of the two guys, like Scherzer's excellence is just otherworldly. But in the postseason, Strasburg was better. You know, it was almost like a, a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning type thing of like Max was the regular season guy. And it's not like Max was terrible in the playoffs, but Strasburg was the ace of the postseason. Strasburg, I mean, he was like Kofaxian in the postseason with what he did. And you can never take that away from him. And I hope he understands that that is a championship belt that is so special and that so many guys would kill for. You know, I wonder if you sat down with Clayton Kershaw and you asked him, would you trade your regular season excellence for Strasburg's postseason excellence? You know, I wonder what Kershaw's answer to that would be, because he's gotten hammered over the years from not having come through in October the way that someone like Strasburg has come through. Strasburg maybe wasn't April through September what everybody wanted, although, like you said, he was very good and he was. But man, the October Strasburg, that is something that will always stand out. And just to take it back to that night in 2010, let's start there. His arrival put the Nationals on the national map. This is a franchise that got zero attention around the country. And that night, it all changed. And while he isn't the you know the best player, the, the face of the Nationals for their history, we talked about Zimmerman, and we know Scherzer is going to be the first Hall of Famer to go in as a National. To me, I think there's a case that Steven Strasburg is the most important National in history because of the timing of his arrival and what it meant for the ascension of the franchise, and then what you just outlined about how he delivered in the most important moments. And just think about that narrative from him when he was younger in his career about, oh, he wilts under pressure and he can't take the mound or can't thrive unless all the conditions are perfect out there. No, you know what? Nobody came through in bigger moments for them than Strasburg. It wasn't just in 19, it was in 14 and 17 as well at Wrigley Field, certainly in 19. And that's what his legacy should be. No, he wasn't everything that he could have been, but he was so much for them and at the right moments. And I hope and I, I do believe though, over these next couple of weeks, as this becomes official and, and he gets his moment, that everybody showers him with that kind of praise. I think most people get it and understand that. Well, next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the Miami Marlins. Game one, Friday evening, 640, Yoan Adon will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon, 410, Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three, Sunday afternoon, 140, Trevor Williams will be 
the Nats starting pitcher. I can't imagine the next three days will be like the last six days with the Nats, but uh, who the heck knows? We shall see. But a lot going on with the Nats right now. Uh, You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the program to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the pitch. Fastball hit on the ground off the glove of Strasburg. Cabrera charges in. Bearhands throws the first. He's out. He's out. One away here in the bottom of the ninth inning. What a reaction by Cabrera to come in barehanded with the great hands and footwork to throw him out. That was going to be a really easy play if Strasburg didn't touch the ball. That made it a far more difficult play, having to redirect, and the key was the barehand pickup, and once he did, he was fine. Chip Hale is coming out. He's taking the ball. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.